Computer technology aids us daily in our work and personal lives. Banking, online ordering, education, even monitoring your blood sugar and other health conditions is now routine. These systems also track our online habits, learning about our preferences and using that data to offer similar types of products or other content. That's one simple example of artificial intelligence, but AI's use is growing fast and understanding the risks that come with the convenience is important. We'll learn more about these cyber concerns today on Talk of Alaska. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by the law firm of Landy Bennett Blumstein, attorneys who know the people, businesses, tribes, and communities of Alaska. Landy Bennett Blumstein, online at lbblawyers.com. The Alaska Fisheries Development Foundation is excited to announce the 30th anniversary of the Alaska Symphony of Seafood. The call for products is out now, with the deadline to enter October 7, 2023. Additionally, the call for judges and sponsors is also live. Details can be found at afdf.org. Just click on the Alaska Symphony of Seafood tab for more information on entering and sponsoring. This message sponsored by AFDF. The views expressed on this program are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Hello, it's Talk of Alaska. I'm Lori Townsend. The seeds of today's artificial intelligence stretch back further than you may realize to the 1950s. A Harvard University report chronicles how AI grew from the 50s to the 70s as computers were able to store memory to remember commands. Flash forward to the 90s and early 2000s when more funding and algorithms helped AI keep advancing. Then about a year ago, in November of 2022, the company OpenAI released ChatGPT to the public. A July episode of the public radio program On the Media featured Apple's Steve Wozniak expressing fear that, quote, people would use it for evil purposes. Microsoft's Bill Gates said, we're all scared that a bad guy could grab it. And last spring, OpenAI's CEO Sam Altman testified to Congress. My worst fears are that we, the field, the technology, the industry, cause significant harm to the world. I think if this technology goes wrong, it can go quite wrong. Uh, and we want to be vocal about that. We want to work with the government to prevent that from happening. There's your Halloween chill for you. How did this technology advance to this level that even the creators express fear of its potential, and how is it already being used in Alaska? Teachers and professors are on the front lines of this debate, so here with us to help describe AI's practical applications, when it's helpful and when it's not, is Kenrick Mock. Professor Mock is the dean of the UAA College of Engineering and is a professor of computer science and researches artificial intelligence and its uses. Professor Don Reardon teaches writing at UAA in the Department of Writing, and Professor Andrew Harnish also teaches writing at UAA in the Writing Department. And like a lot of professors and teachers, they are considering the appropriate role of AI in the classroom. Welcome, all of you. Thanks for being here in person. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. You can also join our conversation, Alaskans. Are you using AI? Do you think it's a terrific asset or an that will possibly help solve some of the world's biggest problems? Or do you fear its use will have unintended negative consequences and will take over and control our lives? You can call us statewide at 1-800-478-8255. That's 
800-500-8255. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is 907-550-8422, 550-8422. You can also email us, talk at alaskapublic.org. Henrik, I want to start with you. AI's use stretches back decades. In 1970, it was predicted that within three to eight years, computers would have the general intelligence of an average person. And in 1997, a computer beat Russian chess grandmaster Garry Kasparov. What happened in that 27-year stretch that advanced AI enough to win at chess? Yeah, so... AI has had some, I guess, fits and starts, and there's been this promise going back into the 70s that AI would be um, kind of like what it is today, but back in the 70s, and it didn't reach that potential back then. Um, and so it had kind of a bad rap of it being over-promising. Um, and really what's happened in the past is, is um, what, what's driven the advances have been the increase in computing power for one, and so that's really been what's happened with chess, is chess is a really constrained game. And so when you have more computing power, the computer can just look farther ahead down the possible sequence of moves. And that's really what allows it to be a better chess player. Um, so computing power for one. And then the other one is really the internet. And so as the internet has risen, we have access to tons and tons of data. And today's algorithms use machine learning. So machine learning is kind of the the, I guess, the engine behind AI today, uh, whereas when we talk about chess playing programs, it doesn't necessarily use machine learning. It could. Um, but now that we have all this vast data, it's opened up all these possibilities for new types of AI and applications that we see today. It might be hard for someone to grasp how much AI is part of our everyday life already. Talk about some of the practical uses and where uh, AI uh, has really helped improve things. Yeah, so if you just think about what you do on your phone nowadays, so so AI has really been around us for decades, um, and maybe people haven't realized it. So um, you have spam filters in your email now, and that's been around for a while. That uses AI ideas. Um, companies like Amazon um, that make suggestions to you, or if you go to Netflix and it gives you your list of movies that you might it suggest you might like to see, um, that's using AI where there's a profile that's built of the users and is making predictions about what kind of shopping or movies or music you might like. Um, so that's that's been around for a while. And it's really just been um, since the introduction of ChatGPT, um, where it's really kind of risen to a new, a new level and new awareness in people. I started out with a concerning quote from the creator of ChatGPT. But what's your level of concern about AI getting out of control? Was Sam Altman overhyping the concern? Or do you think, as he said, it could cause significant harm to the world? Um, well, in the near term, I'm not too concerned, at least in, kind of in my lifetime. I mean, but if you think about where we come, like he started talking about AI in the 50s, and you know, that wasn't that long ago. And in the 50s, we had these giant bulky computers that couldn't do too much. And you know, we see how far it's come to in 70 years. And in that time span, you know, human evolution has been you know, nothing, right? Um, and so computers are evolving at a much, much faster rate than humans are. And so in 100, 1,000 years from now, it's sort of who knows, right? Um, but at least in the near term, um, it's hard to see um, AI sort of in this dystopian scenario. Um, but certainly in the scenario where it's impacting 
um, certain job sectors. Um, that's definitely realistic. Yeah, we'll talk more about that in a bit. But Don, I want to turn to you. You went right at this with your students in your writing classes. Tell us about how you brought it into your class. Oh, man. Yeah, so I brought it into the class. First, I, I had AI write my statement, which I thought would be kind of ironic, right, to have it. <laughs> and my, in my syllabus statement, I have, like, the use of artificial intelligence. And then this was early uh, last year in January that class was starting. It was writing in the humanities. And, and so I wanted the students to think about, like, what – what is writing? Um, what are the humanities? And then what, you know, like, how, how does artificial intelligence show that it's not us, you know, and, and students were, we, we dove right into it. Some of them knew about it, knew about chat GPT already. Some of them had no idea. Mm -hmm. And then it was exploding in the news as the semester went. So it was really kind of a fun experience and interesting for all of us, uh, myself included as a writer, right, to have have my ideas are out there and it can generate material in my voice like that's spooky in a weird way mm -hmm. um and and you know the the experience for the students i think was unique too because they were we were looking at it as a tool and they were looking for the holes in it and and where it how how it just can't do what we do um it can imitate it can write some powerful stuff but it's not it, it just it lacks the kind of humanity that that's there, you know, uh, and, and that comes out and it's fun for students to look for that and look for where it's wrong. Can't do it yet, Don. <laughs> yeah, not yet. But there's that idea, too, you know, like we think of um, it's it's getting it's it's the students trusting, you know, I think we're so used to trusting technology and we can ask Siri or ask a calculator, you know, two plus two and you get the answer. Boom. Instantly. It's four. Um, and then you ask for it to give you a biography of something and you expect that and it comes out instantly, but it's wrong. You know, mm. the material's wrong often and the sources are often fake. Yeah. And and I want to drill down a, a, in that in, in a little bit, but I, I think you had AI write the class assignment. Is that right? Tell us about how well did it do? Did you give it a grade? <laughs> yeah, that was really funny. I showed them the assignment sheet. We talked about what the assignment was, and I go, okay, what would can can Chat GPT write this? And you know, in the span of seconds, it writes the assignment. You know, it's a four-page assignment, and it's boom, there it is. And we read it together, and I think some students were shocked that it could do that because they didn't know that. It's so essentially, I'm saying, here's how you cheat, kids. You know, <laughs> which is a really stupid thing for a professor to do. Um, but right away, they could see where where there was holes in it. In and how it wasn't matching with the assignment. And I could see it kind of from my point of view, how would I grade this? And what would you do if you received something like this? And then we started playing with it where can you write it in another voice, write it in the voice of Shakespeare, write it in the voice of the street, you know? And it's really funny to see how silly that can be where it's just like, yo, check this out, you know? <laughs> um, and so playing with it is part of it, learning and understanding how it's a tool and how how, do you, how, how it can be useful, I think, is important as, as important as thinking to just like not let students use it. And did you decide to take it head on in that way because it's there and it's not like you're going to be able to say, as you said, don't use it because you can't really stop people from doing what they're going to do with, with phones, with computers, with artificial intelligence. So did you just feel like it's best to just meet this head on and help students understand, hey, I can see if you're, you know, I might be able to know if you're using this to cheat? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think, 
the way the reason I did it was because I believe in the power and magic of writing, and that's part of how I teach and how I write, and it lacks that. And I want them to see that they have their their voices, their voice and their ideas are more important than anything that a computer can generate. Mm. I wanted them to feel that and help help you know as much as it is a tool I want it to empower them to understand why they are human. And human emotion is a, a big piece of what's involved in writing. Andrew, I want to turn to you, but first I want to remind folks that this is Talk of Alaska and we are talking about artificial intelligence, how it's used, when it maybe shouldn't be used and uh, how it can help our lives on a daily basis. We're talking about these things with Professor Kenrick Mock, who is the dean of the UAA College of Engineering and a professor of computer science, and Professors Don Reardon and Professor Andrew Harnish, who both teach writing at UAA in the Department of Writing. You can join our conversation statewide at 1-800-478-8255. That's 1-800-478-8255. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is 907-550-8422. 5508422 you can also email us talk at alaskapublic.org so andrew how about your classes you said conversation started last year in your class and in researching it your takeaway is that it can be disruptive but it can also be helpful tell us about how you see it today i mean i think that's exactly right i think it it has the potential to be very productive but it also has the potential to um, to be problematic i mean when i raised this first. I was actually doing it in the context of a writing center, um, which I am sort of a liaison to from the Department of Writing. And I think a lot of the tutors that I was working with had heard the kind of news that that Kenrick was talking about um, and and that Sam Altwin alluded to, which is just that, you know, this does have the potential to be very disruptive on some time horizon. And so, like, I, I said to the tutors, well, let's think about how we could possibly use AI um, when students come in asking for help with their work. And, and a number of the tutors, very, very smart, informed um, students, you know, were like, I, I don't want to use ChatGPT in, in working with students. I, I think it would be a source of misinformation. I think it could be problematic. Um, I suggested, you know, some of the use cases that, that a lot of folks in writing studies talk about, like using it to generate an outline or possibly using it to generate part of a rough draft that you'd then go on to revise. Um, and the students resisted that, in the, in, at least in that context as tutors. They felt like that was a kind of cheating, perhaps, but I think more, more, more specifically, they felt like it was um, that, that ChatGPT could not be trusted, that it, it hallucinates, as, as we've heard. You know, it, it's, it's taking these large corpuses of text, it's using something, and, and Kenrick can correct me on this, but it's using something like autocorrect, you know, correct. It's guessing, making probabilistic guesses about how words and sentences and um, even whole paragraphs are connected. And it's generating, you know, plausible pieces of information. Um, but sometimes it just makes stuff up because those connections, um, you know, don't, don't match up with reality, even though they seem probabilistically true to the computer. And, and, and so I think a lot of the students know that. Um, a lot of the tutors know that. And, and they feel like it's not, or at least they felt at that time, like it's not something that they wanted um, anything to do with as tutors. This um, fall, I talked to my students in, in the first year writing class that I'm teaching, um, writing across contexts, and I think about half of them had had some experience with ChatGPT. Mm. So still a lot of students um, aren't that familiar with it. Um, and I, one other anecdote that I'll share from the Writing Center is 
you know, a lot of students have been coming in this fall asking for help using ChatGPT. It's not the most intuitive program. And, um, it, you know, prompting, which is, you know, feeding it the, the sort of question or the, or the instructions that it's going to use to generate a response is a pretty sophisticated like, cognitive skill. Um, and so a lot of first year students, you know, aren't that familiar with how prompting works and need need help with that. And so, I mean, I think tutors are now <laughs> at least doing that much with, with, with the students, helping them figure out how to use it. Well, it's fascinating to hear you say that it makes stuff up and it hallucinates. Kenrick, drill down a little there because my assumption has always been computers will only do, you know, what they're fed. But when I think about it making something up, I think about what I see in otter transcriptions, we transcribe interviews in the the software program called Otter, and wow, some of the misspellings and misword sentences that it puts together, you're like, wow, where did? Good thing the public doesn't see this stuff because some of it is really bad. So, is that part of the problem? Is it's looking at transcripts and saying, oh, well, it's not this, it's that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so it's, it's making these probabilistic connections um, from the inputs to the outputs. Um, it uses this new architecture, this transformer architecture um, that's based on um, neural networks. Um, so there's always the, so it's not learning the same way that people do. Um, it's really taking the training data, which is essentially the internet in most of these cases. So right off the bat, um, how it, what data is being used to train it um, could possibly be suspect, or we don't really exactly know, right? Um, and um, it's just making these connections between the most likely inputs to the desired outputs. Well, um, we'll talk more about that in a minute, but I want to get to something that um, a teacher here in Anchorage had to say about this. Ben Walker, the 2018 Alaska Teacher of the Year, he teaches seventh grade science at Romig Middle School. And he says in middle school, it started showing up last year and it's a bit easier to detect in writing at that grade level. He thinks it's fine to use for building schedules and practical things like maybe meal planning, but not assignments. And he uses a sports analogy to clarify why cheating with AI won't help students in the long run. So if on all your practices, you're having someone else do do all the work for you when it's time to show up for your game, right? You don't, you haven't mastered the skills. You don't have the knowledge to, to do whatever it is you're supposed to do. So even if you were able to AI yourself through a diploma or AI yourself through a degree, right, then you're going to show up supposedly knowing all this stuff and you're not going to actually be able to do it or know what it is that you have this piece of paper that says you did. Such an excellent point. And uh, Kenrick, you said that AI can really transform how education is delivered. With that backdrop of Ben's comments, talk about that. How do you see it as being so transformative? Um, yeah, so one is actually with tutoring. So in computer science, um, these tools are also making a wave. And so some people don't realize that um, ChatGPT, Bing, uh, Google Bard, they're also really good at writing computer code. And so not only can they generate essays and you know, stories and paragraphs, but they can write code. And they can write code really well. Um, and that's because software code uses the same grammars and rules that English does. And it's, it's more formal. In computer code, you don't have poetry <laughs> and grammatical things. Um, and so we have the same problem in computer science where students can essentially you know, cheat and have the 
ChatGPT write programs for them. Um, but for tutoring, it's it's actually can be really useful. I have seen some students use this very successfully to sort of self help them tutor their programs. It's a little different because um, they can usually run the programs and do some tests to see if it's working correctly. Um, and so there's less of that worry that it's feeding someone garbage because you can actually try it and see if it works. Um, so that's one example uh, where now you have the ability to have kind of this private tutor that really learns about how you're, what you need. And then we're, we're actually changing parts of our curriculum to integrate um, these tools so that students, um, when they graduate, know how to use them. Um, so for example, data science tools and um, in, in the College of Business, we have this lab ad sale, the Alaska Data Science and AI Lab with business and engineering. Um, and in some of the courses that use the lab, we're also integrating these AI tools. So we want students to be able to use them productively um, when they graduate. We're going to go to a caller in a minute, but um, when you said AI is really good at writing code, I it made me wonder if that's at the heart of some of the concern about the future. I, I'm thinking back to Space Odyssey 2001 when Hal wouldn't <laughs> open the door and said, you tried to not let me hear you, but I heard you. So could that happen? AI writes code that says, doesn't make sense that these goofy humans are making these decisions. They're always messing stuff up. We better take over. It's possible. So that connection has been, but it is theoretically possible. ChatGPT could write its own code that it then incorporates back into itself and runs. So it could, if that if that was allowed by the programmers, that could happen. And there is a field of AI where this occurs. It's called um, genetic programming, uh, where we evolve computer programs. So it, in theory, it could happen. Um, I'd say it, it's maybe, I think humans still have their finger on the plug if we need to. Good. I hope those programmers are paying attention out there. Okay, let's go to the phones. Libby is in Anchorage and I think is going to get to a point that I uh, think is very important and we would be talking about also at some point about bias. Hi, Libby. Hi there. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, great. Thanks for taking my call. Um, yeah, listening to you, this is fabulous. I appreciate everyone there. I also work at the University of Alaska Anchorage. <clears throat> I'm the director of the Difficult Dialogues Initiative and work in the Faculty Teaching and Learning Center. So this is a very lively conversation there as elsewhere, obviously pointing to the fact that any new development in technology can bring both enormous good and enormous harm. When ChatGBT suddenly blew up, because of the spaces that I work in, I was immediately contacted by some interesting folks. Uh, uh, one thread had to do with indigenous justice issues, uh, working in those spaces. Um, and another a conversation I've had has to do with I happen to know people who are in upper levels of meta. And both of the conversations have to do with what was referenced earlier, which is that the, the sourcing that is being used for AI in, in a in chat GPT and uh, so on um, is coming from what exists on the Internet. And it's wildly biased. We, we have very little information and knowledge from indigenous nations worldwide, for example. We have, as far as I know, very little information from many African nations um, and so forth, right? Um, and so there's great concern that um, the kinds of responses that people, when people put a question in and get answers, it's sourcing it from this very narrow spectrum of human knowledge, which would be primarily Western civilization. You raise an excellent point and one that I, I uh, did absolutely want to get to, and that is the concern over exactly what Libby said. There's a lot of 
excellent content online. There's a whole lot of garbage. And how and a can... a whole lot missing. I think that's the point here. A whole lot missing. Yes, there is absolutely a whole lot missing, um, as you referenced, uh, from people of different ethnic backgrounds. And we know that a lot of the facial recognition therapy or uh, software was developed by white researchers. So there is bias built into some of those systems. But when you think about how these AI programs uh, go out and scrape for information, is there a way to make sure that that they're not taking from conspiracy sites and some of the, the more uh, colorful content that's out there? Um, they can be tuned. And so it's not just a matter of whatever input you exist out there. Um, and so Microsoft, you know, has done this um, in the past when its uh, systems have given some kind of wonky answers and then they've gone back and, and retuned the, the um, algorithms. So it's possible, but it does fall on the hands of humans to do this and humans to be aware of these deficiencies. And, um, there is always a possible weak link there, right? <laughs> yes, I was going to say humans and all of their uh, various states of uh, ability to find these things. Don, has, as someone who has written military biographies, poetry, fiction, screenplays, you've done it all. What do you think AI's role could be for writers and should be? Have you tried putting an idea in to see what kind of a novel AI would generate? Oh, man, that part's really strange. That's the, yeah, I think when I first wanted to explore it, I needed to know what it was capable of, right? And that's where I, you know, can you write in the voice of Alaskan author Don Reardon? And it can. And kicked out poems that I probably could have wrote because I'm maybe not that good of a poet. Uh, but then, you know, can it write the first chapter of a novel? And it can. And thematically, it might be something I would write. The writing is not exactly me but it definitely has some elements of me and you can tell it's scraping all of the writings that are out there from whether they're op-eds or or the books i've written um, but then if i have it write a biography of me it's going to show me as like you know this super cool uh military um veteran you know and that's not me that's the guys i was writing about <laughs> right talk a little yeah. about that because i did want to ask you about that it made assumptions about you having military background yeah yeah I've, I've used several of the you know whether it was chat gpt or bard or bing and and it would say yeah you know don Re don don Reardon, uh, decorated combat veteran you know served tours in Oops. afghanistan and iraq yeah, like I've served tours on the campus at UAA and UAF and, and, and schools across America. Yeah. You know, you know, we're laughing about it, but wow, that could really it cause speaks to what problems Libby's saying for, too. You know, for people too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. veterans do not take kindly to people uh, manufacturing their military service record, and you did not do that intentionally, but. Uh, it seems like that's one of the risks that's out there. Yeah, and that's where a student might, they don't know any better, right? If they go to put something like that in, in an essay and they, they, they use it because it seems like it's a legitimate answer, and that goes back to what I was saying about, you know, like a calculator, right? You get the answer and boom, that's, you, you believe it. And it seems like it's real and it's not. And then the student goes down that whole rabbit hole of they're in trouble because their sources are incorrect and... And yeah, so I think in those terms, like that's where, that's where we, our job, I think, is to show 
students and young writers and old writers like you know like myself like uh how it's a tool but also how to understand information and discern and and that's part of the the creative process too where you're getting that information from and and like libby's saying what voices are missing Mm-hmm. And for us, a lot of our students, their voices are the ones that are missing from that whole internet world. And so it's like, you know, learning for them how to add their own voice and not someone else's. I have not tried using ChatGPT or any of the programs yet, but I can't imagine giving it a writing prompt and, and then having it spit out something that sounds like your voice. What was that like? <laughs> I think when when Andrew talked about like hallucinating, I think it was my turn to hallucinate. Like this, like we're really living in some sort of simulation. Like this can't be, you know, it can't be. Yeah, yeah. And then also wondering like, could I just have it write my next novel and me just make a few little changes, you know? And then like, how wrong is that to even think that, you know? Well, and you know, I think about the writers' strike going on in Hollywood, and I thought. Uh, are they nervous that at some point the big studios will be like, okay, off with your heads. We're just going to use chat GPT and forget about it. And that was definitely part of the the strike, right? And then we have uh, major lawsuits happening right now with Jody Picot and Roger, or um, oh, Mark, who's who's the... John Grisham, I think. Is yeah, John Grisham was a part of it. Yeah, yeah and, and they're suing because they know that their material is being used in those search in in, in the material that's generated yeah 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 it's going to be really hard to put that genie back in the bottle we are going to take a quick break when we come back we'll continue our discussion about the benefits and the risks of artificial intelligence as talk of alaska continues statewide Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station Alaska needs more quality licensed child care providers if you are interested in starting a childcare business, connect with ThreadAlaska.org for support and guidance. There are several resources to get licensed and launched in Alaska. A licensed facility opens doors and opportunities for the business owner and creates a safer, more engaged place for children. You can make a lasting difference in the lives of children and their families. This message sponsored by Thread. Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. We are discussing artificial intelligence, its use, and the potential benefits and the risks that also come with these advances. In the studio with me today is Professor Kenrick Mock, who is the dean of the UAA College of Engineering and is a professor of computer science. Professor Don Reardon and Professor Andrew Harnish are also in the studio. Both professors teach writing at the UAA Department of Writing. You can join our conversation. Do you use AI? Are you excited about the prospects and how it can help benefit lives? Or are you nervous and worried that it might get out of control? 1-800-478-8255 is the number statewide. That's 1-800-478-8255. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is 550-907-550-8422. 
550-8422. You can also email us, talk at alaskapublic.org. Kenrick, do you think that regulation is needed? And are you confident that the federal government would be up to the task? Well, the government doesn't seem too interested in regulation right now. Um, do I think it's needed? Um, I'm a little mixed. I could... I could see some kind of um, some kind of regulating board, sort of like we have for the FDA when you have um, drugs that need to be approved. Um, especially since AI and computer technology can have a you know a similar impact on society. Um, how that would get done and the impact would have on on um, industry to release new software and algorithms um, it would be a little, it would slow down the pace of technology for sure. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm a little mixed. I could see where there's definitely a benefit, how it would be implemented. I'm not quite sure yet. I mean, it's just so weird that the creator of ChatGPT, you know, went to Congress and was essentially like, help, help me, help me, <laughs> save me from myself. I mean, it, it just seemed like a strange thing to do. Yeah, um, that's definitely makes you think twice about it, right? When that <laughs> happens. <laughs> yeah. So explain to us what algorithms are and also what they are not. I've heard people accuse al algorithms of everything from changing election outcomes to sending their dads down conspiracy rabbit holes. What are they and um, are they good or bad? Yeah, so the real simple concept is just a sequence of steps that the computer follows to do something. So it's basically like, you know, same like a recipe you'd use to bake a cake or something. You follow the steps in this order and you get a cake in the end. And so it's the same idea for, for computers. And you follow some sequence of steps with some desired outcome. And um, the, the problems be become um, maybe there's some bias in the algorithms where they skip, they you know, don't account for certain uh, factors, um, or of course they could be wrong, um, or you know maybe we know they're 90% correct, um, but it's those steps that, it's just the steps the computer follows, and um, for good or bad, um, that's you know, the output that the computer gives. What's your level of concern about some of what Libby, Libby expressed when she called in about the bias in the system, and is that being addressed? Um, no, I think she's um, got a great point, and it's definitely an issue in computing. Um, there's also a lack of diversity in computing. As, um, you brought up the facial recognition issue. Um, and there have been attempts to address it. I don't think it's been solved, for sure, but there's been more effort and at least awareness in, in bias issues and trying to have a more diverse workforce. Um, but we're still a long way away mm. uh, from getting there. You work on research into eye tracking. What can be learned about someone's gaze patterns online? That kind of, I have to say, freaked me out a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah. So. Eye tracking is used in all sorts of areas. Um, for example, marketing, if you have a website and you want to know what are people looking at on your advertisement or your web page, um, that can tell someone useful information about how to design your, your ad or your website, for example. Um, but one of the things that we've been finding is um, that gaze patterns are somewhat unique to each individual. 
Um, and so if we do have a computer that's tracking your gaze, um, not 100%, but around 80%, um, we can determine who that person person is. Um, and so this also, right, so this brings up possibilities, like you could authenticate someone based on your gaze patterns, or a computer could tell if um, someone other than you is sitting at your computer or maybe, you know, doing something they're not supposed to. Uh, but then the flip side, of course, are there's privacy issues about if that information starts to get used in ways that you wouldn't want. And is that happening with all computers? It's, it's happening in all sorts of areas, yeah, definitely with voice recognition, right, and speaker identification. Um, you know, Alexa will do that now, so when someone speaks and it can tell who, who is speaking in a multi-person household. Um, so it, hmm. it's powerful, but at the same time, we have to balance the you know, privacy issues. Well, I'm going to wear sunglasses from now on when I'm looking at my computer, I have realized. Uh, <laughs> Don... Uh, AI really at its most basic is really just a fast plagiarizer, right? Yeah. I Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess I, Kendra could write. probably explain that a little bit better <laughs> than me. Yeah. I guess when I think about it in terms of, um, I, I mean, as I was walking here today and thinking about like this gorgeous fall day, right? And I, if I have my students, I have my students write about specific things specific to their lives often. And if if somebody was doing that, you know, like they might catch those like it was just beautiful sun glinting off the grass and little like little diamonds, you know, and then the sound of a magpie. And then if if AI wrote that and, you know, then the howl of a wolf, you know, in downtown Anchorage. <laughs> so it's there's that's that's sort of how we catch that. It's just not it's not human in that sense or getting getting things right or correct that way. But also just the observations that are so very human, this like out there today, it's the feeling of fall. Like you can feel fall, you can feel winter coming, as like Sherry Simpson would say. Um, and then it's that's a, that's an emotion that like the computer just can't get. Mm -hmm. Can I jump in on that Absolutely, briefly? Please. Um, I mean, Andrew. there's there's a lot of discussion in writing studies about like what kind of documentation should be done with ChatGPT. I mean, do you cite it in the way that you cite a source from the web? Mm -hmm. And I think the the general consensus right now is that you don't like it's not. It's not a source. It's a voice, or it's a you know, it's it's not um, like a piece of information that you can track back to an author. It didn't um, do the study itself. It's right, exactly. Citing a study exactly. Of it's, else. it's like you know, you, it's citing. I mean, it would be like citing somebody's language, you know, just about, you know, from a, from a work of fiction, I guess. Um, but there's nobody to cite. Um, it's just it's just language, um, and, and so like a lot of the citation practices that I've seen recommended are. Um, mention somewhere that you've used it um, in your in your work cited or your references page but it's not like you're putting quotation marks necessarily around a passage of ChatGPT I mean if you have a fact you should go find it from somewhere else because like ChatGPT may well have made that fact up so you wouldn't you wouldn't want to be quoting ChatGPT as like a, a factual source um, but you but if you've got you know the kind of work product that I think increasingly is going to exist out there in the world which is like 75% human and 25% ChatGPT, and it's all mixed up together. You know, somebody has taken a first draft with AI and then revised it themselves two, three times. Um, there's bits of AI probably scattered throughout, so then it would make sense to reference it in the works cited page. Just one other thing there that, that I think is common is like the tool Grammarly, which is an AI product that is used to edit, um, 
you know, language. And, and so there, that's standardizing certain things in, in ways that have implications for, for Libby's comment about bias that, mm. that we can speak to perhaps later. Well, and following up there, you had said that AI plagiarism detectors are not really useful. Why not? Well, Kenrick can probably speak to this better than I can, but I mean, everything I've read um, in, in the field of writing studies just says that like the AI is constantly reiterating itself or, or regenerating itself. And, and so it can catch certain examples perhaps that, that would look like AI. Um, but if a student is sophisticated, they can just, you know, or whoever is sophisticated, they can regenerate um, the, the response and, and those AI detectors aren't going to catch every kind of regenerated response. And so if, if teachers are using those detectors, they're, they're likely to get a lot of false positives. They're likely to accuse students, you know, of, of using AI who haven't. I mean, it just seems it seems very problematic to me. I'd be interested to know what Kendrick has to say about that. Yes, please. Yeah, Kendrick. and it's and it's not perfect, right? It's you know maybe they claim eighty five percent or something, um, and so to go and assume someone is is uh, cheating could be incorrect, right? Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have a, a question by email about the ethics of replacing jobs. Uh, a, a listener says, if companies are replacing human jobs with AI, they're presumably saving substantial labor costs. What are the ethical considerations of charging the same price for a product that they no longer have to pay human labor to produce? I don't know if you want to wade into that question, but I would say that kind of similar to this question about jobs, a Forbes article from last spring said, ChatGPT surpassed 1 million users in its first five days of launching, the fastest any company has ever reached its benchmark. And they also reported that AI could end up uh, ending or reducing up to 300 million jobs. Does that sound like, uh, do you see that in the future? I mean, I could see... Uh, yeah, poss possibly. I, I, I don't know what time frame. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, we don't have switchboard operators anymore, right? Um, and so there are some technologies that are going to replace human jobs. Um, as everyone's brought up right now, the technology right now won't replace humans because it's not correct all the time, right? Um, but um, certainly it can help automate some tasks. And so at least I see it right now as a way it helps people in their jobs so they're more productive as opposed to entirely replacing people. Um, as, as the technology gets better, I, it possibly could replace um, some jobs, though. Well, the, the same Forbes article said that um, companies will save money and that they will be able to use those resources to build and grow new businesses and will ultimately increase the world's annual G GDP by 7%. <laughs> I don't know where they come up with this stuff. Probably AI told it. I don't know. <laughs> what do you think about that? Will there be, you know, like, uh, will it balance itself out? I think we're starting to see some of that now as more and more companies are starting to use these these um, technologies and tools. Um, I mean, we're doing some of it at the university, for example. Um, we, we use some AI to see, identify students that are at risk of stopping out. And then um, when, when they're identified, then we can reach out to them. Um, so more and more sectors we're starting to use AI in maybe ways that aren't as, as obvious. So there um, will be give and take there. Yeah. Some jobs lost, others possibly created. Exactly. All right. We are going to take another short break. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion about the future of artificial intelligence and all of us as Taco Alaska continues. 
Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. What gives you strength? Strength comes from teaching the Alaskan way of life, getting wood, fishing, hunting, helping people in the community, and being an example for the next generation. If you have forgotten your strength, remember, there's hope, there's joy, there's love, there's peace everywhere. Share what gives you strength at recoveralaska.org slash share your strength. This message sponsored by Recover Alaska. The Alaska Fisheries Development Foundation is excited to announce the 30th anniversary of the Alaska Symphony of Seafood. The call for products is out now, with the deadline to enter October 7, 2023. Additionally, the call for judges and sponsors is also live. Details can be found at afdf.org. Just click on the Alaska Symphony of Seafood tab for more information on entering and sponsoring. This message sponsored by AFDF. Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. You can join our conversation about the future of artificial intelligence and its risks and benefits. If you'd like to join our conversation statewide, the number is 1-800-478-8255. 1-800-478-8255. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is 907-550-8422. 550-8422. You can also email us, talk at alaskapublic.org. So what do you see as the moral considerations? We don't have a military rep here today, but fighter jets use artificial intelligence and can react much faster than a human can uh, to a situation and sometimes must. Um, Will that mean that AI in the future could decide when to shoot at someone rather than a human making that call? Dead silence. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have an ethicist here. (laughs) All right, on the next talk of Alaska. I mean, I I could see that happening in some cases. It's kind of scary to think about, right? It is. Um, But seeing what's happening with the war in Ukraine, for example, um, uh, and what people are doing with drones... Um, it's not too difficult to imagine a drone making that decision on its own, whether or not to fire, and the technology is already there. Um, and it certainly wouldn't be 100% accurate in terms of when it you know, has a valid target. Um, so I, I could see someone developing that very easily and ethically, whether or not we should do it. Um, I'd have some dilemma there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it kind of seems like uh, the the adage of garbage in, garbage out sort of holds for AI. If there's dishonest stuff online, it could be using that. Is AI able to start discerning BS or does it not? I know, Andrew, you wanted to talk a little about your concerns about bias in the system. Well, one of the things that I wanted to say in, in, in regard to bias is it has to do with the strengths and weaknesses of the technology. I mean... Uh, um, it can it can standardize language in in very efficient ways, and so like a lot of us who teach writing, spend a lot of time thinking about grammar and standard uh, edited American English and and what that means for um, sort of access to power in society, and and ChatGPT can um, and other and other tools I guess grammarly perhaps even more readily can create that very standardized language, um, and 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 in in a way that's a comfort because it means that we don't have to spend as much time perhaps teaching 
grammar to our students. I mean, I, I think around the university and around universities across the country, when people say that, quote, students can't write or students have trouble writing or Johnny can't write or whatever, you know, the famous study from the 80s, um, they mean that students have grammatical errors in their writing. And, and you know, they do and, and we all do, as, as lots of studies show. Um, sometimes it's just more obvious than, than in other cases. And um, so I think that one possible, very promising use case for this technology is that it, it can um, help students who, who have difficulty with sentence level writing, with grammar, um, imp improve there. Having said that, there are, there are possible consequences. I mean, it, it, it can standardize language in ways that erase language difference. Um, you know, students have a right to their own language. That's a very foundational concept in, in writing studies. And um, vernacular expression, black English, um, indigenous, you know, inflected languages, all of these could be kind of er erased by a grammarly that is really aggressive and in sort of pushing everything back toward that norm or that standard English. I had a student talk to me last semester about, about using Grammarly and said something to the effect that like I just kept using it and using it and suddenly I looked at what was there and I couldn't see my own voice or I couldn't hear my own voice in the, in the piece because it had just become so generic sounding in a way that I think like ChatGPT writing does as well. So I mean that's a concern. I, th I think there's the, the opportunity that this technology can give students access to the language of power in ways that I think can be very empowering for them. Um, but we just have to think about how well we as a society, you know, um, should remain open to language that isn't just rigidly conforming to those to those old standards. That you know, there's a lot of exciting language that's happening in creative ways and in academic ways as well. That that is making good arguments using evidence effectively, um, while while differing from some of those standards. Mm -hmm, absolutely. So, with all of that in mind, Don, you've said that you're not really that worried about a, how AI is used in writing. Talk about why you think it'll be okay. Well, I think it'll be okay because uh, kind of following along with what Andrew was saying that when when we're if I'm reading something that my students have written, uh, the voice is going to be there and uh, there's going to be mistakes there. And that shows that that it's human. Uh, the late Frank Sussar, um, late poet laureate, wrote uh, in Essaying the Essay that the essay is the messiest of forms. I love that line. And I want to see the mess. I want to see the struggle. And in, in, in that same essay, he says, you know, like writing an essay is kind of like taking your clothes off in public. And the computer can't do that because it doesn't have clothes or doesn't have whatever's beneath the clothes, you know. <laughs> and that that's writing. We're, we're kind of we're, we're exposing ourselves. And um, that's what we're supposed to teach, I think. And that's mm -hmm. that's what that's where the writing is. is That's where the power, the, the actual power comes from, not kind of what it, Andrew was saying that the power of, um, you know, money and getting degrees and all that, it's the it's the art that's created and the heart of the human that's behind it, I think, is that's why I'm not as worried. But I'm also definitely worried about the stuff you're talking about, the war stuff <laughs> and the, the whole, uh, you know, Terminator situation. <laughs> the larger <laughs> implications beyond the essay. We have a, an email comment uh, from Dennis in Haynes, who says, would it be possible to implement ethics algorithms on an AI system? That is, the AI would refuse a request to write a story in the style of an author or refuse to write an essay without significant input from the requester. Yeah, definitely. Of course, a human has to program it in. A good example of that would be like Asimov's Laws of Robotics, where you shouldn't harm humans, I think, is the first law. 
Um, and, you know, we've tech companies have tried some of this. So um, um, Microsoft and Google will filter out things. So if someone asks about how to build bombs, you know, chat GPT won't, won't give answers to them. Um, so, so people have tried to incorporate um, some principles in these responses already. And Microsoft's Bing search engine has enhanced AI features. So what does that mean for the average citizen? I know that when Google asks me if I want to sign in when I'm searching for something, I always say no because I'm thinking, don't track me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Probably still is. Yeah, so Bing is essentially using the same technology that is in ChatGPT. Um, and then Google has their own version in, in BARD. Um, so essentially, you, you can do a search on Bing, and, um, and the same thing works with Google now. Um, and you can get a ChatGPT-style response. So you got both the list of hits on the internet from your search that you can go through, or if you're looking for something where it's more like, uh, you know, give me a paragraph summary, um, then that's where the ChatGPT answer comes in. Hmm. And for all of you, what do you think this technology will mean in classrooms and generally in society in another decade? I know that's really difficult because things happen so fast. It's kind of stunning. But when you think about and reflect on the future implications, what are you most concerned about and what are you most hopeful about? Well, I guess I would say I think we all want uh, our students to remember that writing is still thinking, that you know, putting the thought down on the page, reflecting on whether it makes sense, how it can be amplified, supported, expanded. I mean, I think that's a fundamental task. And, and, and AI can't replace that unless we decide to outsource our, our thoughts to the, the cloud. And that seems pretty terrifying. Um, so I, I mean, as a teacher, I just want to continue to remind students to, um, to think for themselves. And, and you know, the earlier quote um, from, from a K through 12 teacher, I thought really reinforced that point well. We don't want to um, you know, not prepare for the ultimate uh, moments when we have to implement this thought in important ways in our lives. You know, we have to make big decisions. We have to um, make choices that, that matter for us. And, and writing can help us um, think more effectively. Um, and, and so I guess I remain hopeful that um, at least the people that I'm working with um, in my classes are going to keep thinking hard about um, what matters to them and using writing to, to augment that thought. Um, you know, at the same time, the possibilities for misinformation and the, for misuse of this technology, I think, remain, and and they are kind of sobering. Yeah, yeah, I'm really hopeful, and so I see it more kind of like a, a tool that people will be using. So, like a calculator, for example, um, where um, we use it to help automate tasks or to assist us in things where we need assistance, but we still have to incorporate the you know human cognition element to it to really accomplish what we need to get done. Mm -hmm. Don? Yeah, I like that idea of it as a tool. I remember back in my early days as faculty, I was getting in trouble because I was teaching uh, citation builders because I was like, why do I need to remember how to write a citation this way when it's just very formulaic, you know? And and I, you know, I think I think it'll, I hope it'll be used as a tool that way, and we can still stick to the heart of writing. Because I see writing as when I when I talk about it as magical, it's one of the things that we do that's so strange. We take these weird marks and put them on a page or um, capture them somewhere on a screen, and they somehow transmit emotion that make us cry and laugh and scare us and get us angry and. You know, I, don't, I just don't think that a computer is going to be capable of doing that in the same way. 
at least I hope. Do you see a future in in where AI can help with things like discerning if content is real or not? I know that video manipulation has gotten so sophisticated now that it's not even possible to go into the back end and look at the data to see, oh, well, this is actually from eight years ago. It's not from this conflict right now. And the ways that images can be manipulated through artificial intelligence is pretty stunning. You could take someone, make them look like they're saying something they didn't. Do you see that there are tools being developed to help in that regard also? Because there's already a lot of mistrust out there about what's online, and this just seems like it could add to that. Uh, are there tools looking at telling you, hey, wait a minute, this now, this isn't right? Yeah, I mean, we've had you know spam filters for a while. Um, we have um, things that can detect um, you know, malicious emails. And um, similarly, we have researchers are looking at these kinds of things in images. And so th this is actually, I think, pretty promising because a computer is able to detect tiny differences in, in between frames and image um, to better make a judgment whether or not it was manipulated or not. Um, you could find little you know cuts and pastes and things like that that the human eye can't really detect. Um, but a computer can. So this is definitely an area where I think computers can make a difference. It's wild, you know, if you, I, my, I had my students do this creating art, uh, visual art, using the AI tools as well. And you can tell if it's an animal or a person, you look at the hands. Hmm. And you hmm. know, like if the, they, the AI cannot get the hands right. Interesting. <laughs> hmm. I bet it will in the future, Don. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, one last question really quickly. Are other languages being added? I heard a story about a woman who was trying to get asylum in the U.S. and was denied because the AI program translated it incorrectly and they thought she was lying. Are languages being added? Um, yep, yeah, they're being added all the time. Um, and that's one of the, the powers of these tools is it scales up to multiple languages. So it's just a matter of time before we index more and more languages. Yay. That will help uh, with some of the bias, I'm sure, in the system. Thanks to my guests today, Kenrick Mock, Don Reardon, and Andrew Harnish for being on hand to help us better understand artificial intelligence and the future of it. Thanks to our engineer, Chris Hyde, our producer, Madeline Rose, and on the phones today, Michael Finelli helped us out. Thanks to you for listening. I'm Lori Townsend. We'll be back next week. Talk of Alaska is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Today's program is available online at alaskapublic.org. This is Alaska Public Media. Alaska Public Media.